And I'm Roger Hillerstrom, and this is Pink Chair Therapy. Rugged though it be. Hi, you guys. Welcome back. So today we are continuing our series that's based off of Lonnie's appointment that we've been talking about addiction, codependency, and recovery. Uh, last week we were talking about realizing the need to tackle the underlying issues of addiction, addiction switching, things like that. We paused when we started talking a little bit more about the partner's experience and the codependent addiction. I think one of the things we actually said was that codependency was an addiction in itself. Right. I think right. at some point you also mentioned that there was, in every addict's life, there's what, an average of 12 codependents. Well, that's them. the rule of thumb. Something they need to be like surrounded that. by enablers, right. people who keep them going. Exactly. Right. Anyway, so we, we paused our conversation on addiction last week to kind of jump back in this week and tackle the many facets of codependency that right. is. Totally intertwined with addiction. So, well, and I'm thinking when we're talking about codependency, um, I think this is going to be a topic that covers a lot and applies to lots of our uh, a lot of the folks that are joining us. Yeah. That it is just you know, like I say, for every addict, there are lots of loved ones around them who don't even understand their role mm -hmm. in an addiction. You know, and uh, an addiction is a multifaceted issue, and it's full of codependence. Yeah, and so uh, and. You know, for codependents, it's very tough to see their role in it. Oh so I'm thinking gosh. this is going to be a really, really valuable session. Very, yeah. And this is something that is very personal to me because I've been in relationship with multiple addicts. And so, and in my current, current state of life, I'm dealing with a lot of what we're talking about right now and just realizing it and working through it. So it'll be interesting to talk about. Well, I think, too, along with it, I think you've brought this up several times, the term recovery mm -hmm. doesn't just apply to the addict. Right. And so for codependency, getting out of codependency is a recovery process of its own. It is yeah. learning to change the way you think, the way you perceive things, the way you approach people. Um, you know, last time we talked a little bit about shame, you know. Codependency is driven by shame. And so, yeah, there's lots. Yeah. There's lots there. Yeah. So, so where do we start? You've said that there, the rule of thumb of this addiction thing is that there are an average of 12 codependents. Right. What does that actually look like coming to fruition in an addict's life? Okay, so one of the metaphors I have from some real severe addicts I've worked with, I mean, we talk about the fact that nobody gets sober who has a watch and a mother. I don't know, maybe too many words, but that you need someone who will fill in the gaps for you, mm -hmm. someone who will make your life work, someone who will lie for you, someone who will take over tasks that you're not doing. With an alcoholic, mm -hmm. it's a little clearer because you can say, well, you need someone who will call the boss and say that you're, you've got the flu when you're right. hungover. You need someone who will make extra money for money that you lost while you're gambling. The you know. mother. Right, right. The, the mother. mother role. Right. The, like, if, when you say, no one gets sober who 
has a watch and a mother. Right. The mother verbiage is just the right. codependent. It means there's someone who will believe my lies. Right. Someone who will lie for me. Right. Someone who will work harder when I work less. Right. Those kind of things. Yeah. Got it. Oof. Yeah. That, that hit. It's so, like, I'm just realizing all this stuff about myself and about, like, how I did that. And so it's interesting, just, like, that mother concept. Obviously, I'm not a mother, but as a partner of an addict, uh, just having that, like, overcompensating for these areas that were... Right. You know? Well, the term enabler is a good term, you know, that they use a lot. And it is someone who enables the addict Mm -hmm. to stay in their addiction because they're life doesn't fall apart because they got this other person. And for most addicts, they need several of those. Mm-hmm. They need people around them who believe them, you know, their lies, yeah. uh, and who will fill in the gaps. Yeah. And that person, that enabler, that codependent, needs a handful of characteristics of their own. And that goes back to what we talked about last time about shame. Someone, the, uh, the codependent typically takes responsibility for what another person feels. If only I did X, Y, Z, then this person wouldn't do that. They wouldn't drink if only I was better. They wouldn't gamble if just I was, you know, more emotionally available, harder working, uh, prettier, stronger, faster, whatever. If I was different, then they could be different. And that mindset keeps the addiction going. It keeps that addict in their addiction. Okay, but so for a codependent, since it... You know, we're kind of drawing the line between addiction and addicts right. as people last week. Yes. And the codependents as people this week. Right. Where does, like, the codependent need, the codependent addiction, where does that come from? Because in my last relationship, I have two relationships I'm comparing in my head. Right. The yeah. first one, I didn't really see myself as a codependent. Right. But in this following one, I was... So codependent. Right. I wonder if my codependency in my last relationship was somehow like triggered or spurred by the previous relationship, or have I just been codependent my whole life? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. So my initial answer is, well, I don't know. So we'll start <laughs> right. with that, yeah. and then and that's I kind of move from there. One of the things with codependency is that. Uh, in terms of triggers, where they come from, they come mm-hmm. from several different places. Um, sometimes it comes from a deep, deep sense of inadequacy, meaning I need this other person, you know, and so I will do whatever it takes to make this relationship work. There's another one that comes from a sense of just the opposite, adequacy. I can do it all. I can do this. And so if only I would, if I just work harder, if I just think more, if I'm just kinder, bigger, <clears throat> stronger, etc. For you in general, moving into your first relationship, mm-hmm. you had done so many things and you are, most of the things you undertake, you are successful in. And so the first time through, then I can picture this sense of, I'll figure this out. I'll, yeah. I'll get it right. I'll do it. And then everything will be fine. He will be different, etc. if I can only do this. Second time around, no, definitely. I think you're coming from a deficit. From your first relationship, there were so many wounds. And I'm thinking right. that... that period in your life was devastating Mm -hmm. and certainly emotionally overwhelming. And so I can certainly see that. Okay, so codependence can come from both. Yeah, sure. Um, 
if you think of the symptoms of codependency, the symptoms of codependency is taking on adequacy for the inadequacy of someone else. Okay. So the spouse of an alcoholic, all right? That person does whatever it takes to get this other person for their world to work well. So if they're hung over in the morning, you're either gonna get them out of bed and get them going or you're gonna call the boss and tell them they have the flu and they're not gonna be at work today or whatever. Mm -hmm. All these things that help that addict keep their symptoms going. Well, that codependent has their own symptoms that they cannot let this person's world fall apart. And sometimes there's logic to it, meaning, oh, your world's gonna fall apart, so you can't right. let that happen. Uh, and sometimes it's just this fear of being exposed, of being inadequate, so I've gotta make this, you know, prop this other person's world up. Whatever the underlying uh, uh, source of that is, the symptoms are taking on responsibility for something that someone else is failing at so that they can keep failing, in essence. And they are codependent. They are dependent on that dependent person. <laughs> and so, like I say, that comes from one or two sources. Either, oh, I am, I, I feel so bad about myself. I've got to hide it. I don't want anybody else to know. Or, I just am so uh, adequate. I will do it all. Yeah. I can fill all the gaps. Yeah. Uh, either way, it ends up being keeping the system going, yeah. keeping that addict where they are. Yeah. It's hard to see when you're on that side of it. Totally. And I think, it, it, as is true for a lot of relationships like that, it begins gradually. You know, it begins gradually, it begins subtly, um, and typically by the time a codependent is aware that, oh my gosh, why am I doing this? It's been going on a long time. It's been in place. And so it's usually retrospective where you say, oh my gosh, I do this, this, and this, and this. Mm -hmm. When did I start that? How did that come to be, I normally function that way, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that was true for you. Yeah, totally. When a codependent starts becoming aware of, I've been doing this, mm -hmm. now i got to do something different, then we have this term boundaries, where I'm no longer doing what I did before, which inevitably means the relationship gets worse. It gets worse before it gets better. That's yeah. where we stopped. I just need to pause you really, really quickly. I apologize for interrupting. I'm about to reference something that was not actually in the first video, and I don't want you to be confused. But I just wanted to prepare you for it, I guess, because I thought it might be confusing, and I didn't want you to feel like you missed something in the first episode. You didn't. Totally my bad. But the next part is important enough that I didn't want to leave it out, and I really honestly just couldn't figure out how to edit it more um, seamlessly, so this is how I fix that. That's all. Back to your regularly scheduled programming. We had started talking about as a partner of an addict or a family member of an addict, you've realized that it's unhealthy, you've realized that you're overcompensating for this person, and you've come to the point of realizing a boundary needs to be set up, but before that boundary is set up, you as a partner, I'm, I keep saying you, but I'm talking about myself. <laughs> I'll just talk from personal experience. Myself, when I was in this place of, in my relationship and realizing this is unhealthy, I need to set up a boundary. But before I do that, I know that as soon as I establish this boundary with this person that I love, I'm either going to get an amazing relationship, 
because he'll accept it and want to improve or I'm entirely gonna lose this relationship. And before I set up that boundary, I had to be like, as I was processing setting up this boundary, I knew I had to be ready to lose the relationship because I anticipated that. I anticipated if I set up this boundary, he's he's not he's not gonna wanna be with me. Mm-hmm. So if I want this relationship, I have to stay codependent. I have to continue my codependent behavior and I have right. to keep just accepting and compensating, overcompensating for his deficits if I want to continue this relationship. Is it worth it to me to lose it? Right. And so I got to the point where it was. I got to the point where I just couldn't function anymore and mm-hmm. this is not worth it. It's too unhealthy. It's destroying me. So here's my boundary. And I did lose the relationship. Mm-hmm. So for me, I I mean, I had to get to that point of being okay with it. And... And that's scary. That's really, really scary. scary, And that's really hard. It's hard. I think realizing your codependent behavior is scary. And then realizing what the end of your codependent behavior behavior means. Right. Is also very scary. You know, that's scarier. Right. Is realizing, oh, I'm functioning unhealthily. Right. (laughs) As soon as I stop this. Which is a good sounding, right? But there are consequences, <laughs> right? Yeah, I got a great metaphor for you. Okay. Okay. Well, so this is the way it works: hanging mobile. I'm going all kinds of words with it, but it's an interdependent system, and you can't change one piece without throwing the whole mobile into chaos. Mm. And so, if you just leave it alone, don't do anything to it, it has equilibrium, familiarity, yeah. And it may be ugly, you may not like it, but it is has equilibrium. You can't touch this mobile without throwing the whole mobile into chaos. And so um, if, you, if you hold one piece, if I hold the bottom piece on this mobile, the first thing that happens when I touch is the whole mobile goes into chaos. But if I can hold still on this fixed piece, the whole mobile rotates around this fixed piece. That's the addict. The mm. addict and the whole mobile, all the loved ones, all the systems around it are are in service to the addiction, all right? If I go up here and I move one piece over on its stick, let it go, first thing that happens goes into chaos because anytime you have an external force, interdependent system creates chaos. Now I let it go, leave it for a while, it will come to equilibrium, but now because I moved one piece, Every piece on this mobile is in a new position relative to any other piece, but I only move one piece. Mm. The codependent is moving their piece on the mobile. What's going to happen is chaos. That's what happens. Everything in this mobile has to get rearranged. When you start setting a boundary, it can't work the way it did before. Now, you can quit your boundary, go back to where you were, and the mobile will go back to where it was. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens a lot of times on the process of a codependent coming to grips with a codependency. Mm-hmm. They try something, it's too uncomfortable, they go back to where they were, come back to, oh, I can't live like this again, and, which we would call relapse. Right. Right? Yeah. And so then, eventually, when they make a permanent change, then there is this chaos that they have to stick with, live with the chaos for a while, yeah. with that assumption that I can't go back to what it was. It cannot yeah. be what it was in hopes that something new will happen. Yeah. Now, for that codependent, they have to be absolutely committed to the fact that my life 
will improve. I cannot be what I was before. Yeah. I cannot guarantee how the other pieces on this mobile will work. Right. You set a boundary for your addict. Well, keep in mind that addict has other enablers around them right. who also will be affected by your boundaries. And so you may end up losing other relationships or developing new friends or whatever as a result of the boundaries you change. Mm -hmm. But the boundaries cannot be about I will do this so they will do this. That boundary right. has to be about, I will do this so I can survive. That whole picture of the mobile is insane in that when I left my last relationship the first time, my world fell apart and I, when I originally set my first healthy boundary right. and I said, enough is enough, I can't do this anymore, I'm out. Yeah. And I left the relationship. Mm-hmm. And he made it very clear that he was not going to change. Right. Right? Right. And I could have stuck with my, in my, my new position in the mobile. Right. And waited right. for it to settle out. Yeah. But I went back. Right. I went back to the relationship, accepting that he wasn't going to change. Right. And thinking, I can do it. Right. I love just, him. Just work a little harder. Do I, a little more. I, uh, yeah. I love him. <laughs> It's mm -hmm. worth it to just stay with him, even though it's right. a destructive relationship because of the addiction that mm -hmm. he's not willing to let go of. So I'll yeah. just stick it out. I've been functioning just fine for the past however many years. Mm -hmm. I'll be just fine for the rest of forever. Just <laughs> yeah, how right. it's been. Go back to my spot in the mobile. I love right. that picture. That's so yes, funny. It's great. Because that's exactly what I did. Yeah. And then I even the I even went I went back to the relationship. I think the within a few days of being back in the relationship, I actually bought him a beer. Yeah. Like I right. I, I didn't um pick it out and purchase it for him, but he ordered a beer within something I was paying for and I paid for his beer. Right. Which was what, a violation of your boundary. What an right. insane picture of like, I left this relationship. I was gone. I right. told you this is exactly why I was leaving. And now right. here I am back in my spot in the mobile. Right. Just because it's easier. It's so much easier. If we just to give a little piece to that whole picture. Codependency is an addiction. It's an addiction to a relationship. Absolutely. It's an addiction to a pattern, to a behavior. Yeah. So just like when an addict is going into recovery, it is so, I want to say common, natural, normal. Those I don't like the words natural and normal. But relapse. You're working on changing a lifetime. And so to relapse, go back into old patterns, is... It is not the end of the world. It's very reasonable. The trouble is you go into relapse and you then go back, don't go back to recovery. Oh, now we're down this negative path again. Right. Same thing is true for codependence. Mm -hmm. What you're describing is a relapse in your recovery from codependency. Yeah. And so huh, that is, it is so natural to do that. The trouble is, when you do it, to be able to recognize it as, oh my gosh, I did it again. Oh, this is relapse. This, wait a minute, I'm going back to my old patterns. I can't. So I get back to that that pathway. This mobile, in order to become healthy, needs to be chaos. There needs to be chaos. As much as we hate it, we don't want it. If it's comfortable, probably means we're not getting healthy. 
<laughs> it is uncomfortable. But that discomfort pushes us back to looking for that old equilibrium totally. that was so comfortable in this in this mobile. So you got to be really committed to change yeah. and not change in your partner. This isn't about making your partner do anything different. It's about you changing the way you yeah. interact. So it's very natural, not particularly healthy. Yeah, it's crazy how, as you say, like it is this comfortable spot. Yeah. How comfortable it, it is, but it's still... I mean, there's a reason we left. Right, right. It was not comfortable. Right. It was horrible. Right. right. I left. Yes. But it somehow is com so comfortable that I went back. Well, in codependency, what you're doing is you are moving towards comfort in the moment. I mean, I'm doing something to, to squelch this fire right now that keeps this long-term pattern going in setting boundaries and breaking the codependency. I'm giving up momentary comfort right now. It's going to be very uncomfortable now in hopes of a long-term change so that it's going to be comfortable long run. Now, because you're part of a mobile, you can't predict the movement of the other pattern, the, you know, the other pieces of this. So it may be that the long-term pattern that you would love to see isn't going to happen because the changes are going to take place in the other people. But you can change, mm -hmm. well, which means, uh, man, you might be getting off this mobile before long yeah. and then making your life operate, even if other people choose to stay in the old patterns. I'm making my own mobile. Yeah. <laughs> Which means discomfort short term. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is going to take a while. Yeah. And I think relapse is trying to get back to that short term comfort. Oh, yeah. It would be so much better if we just, and then here we are again. And so with relapse, what you're going to find is eventually I will get back to the place where this is not workable. Yeah. Long, long term. Yeah. Which I also got to. <laughs> yes, right, right. And so and so I think that's classic in codependency is yeah. you're learning to, just like an addict is learning to eliminate their dependency on whatever their substance or behavior is that they're dependent on, that codependent is learning to eliminate their dependence on their rescuing, fixing, solving, being the good guy, you know, etc., which means the opposite is going to happen. You're going to be the bad guy for a while. You're going to be yeah. disliked and, you know, uncomfortable and feel lonely and all those things that are part of breaking those patterns that you've been avoiding. Yeah. And it ain't easy. No. It's a lot of work. Yeah. So, and I think that's what you saw. Yeah. So when you talk about going back and carrying out behaviors, going back to the relationship when there hasn't been the change, because there is no guarantee that that change is going to take place. Mm -hmm. And if that change is going to take place, Typically, it's going to be a long, slow process yeah. with no guarantees. Yeah. So there's a lot to that. Yeah. Oh, man, how much am I willing to put up with? How how long, long am I willing to work and wait, etc.? Knowing that, who knows? You know, yeah. may, they may go back to their old patterns next week, next month, next year. Yeah. So it's very hard. Yeah. Very, very hard. Yeah. And that's part of codependency, mm -hmm. you know. It also means for the codependent, they are going to, in that chaos, yeah. they're going to live without needs being met that used to be met in that relationship, even if they're met in an unhealthy way. Right. And a lot of times that's very hard to figure out what can I live with, what can I not live with, you know, how much do I give up, um, 
And are there other healthy ways that I go about getting those needs met without repeating the same pattern again? Yeah. Um, it is just a, a, it's again, it's a part of that system of the codependent setting boundaries, saying no more, and then learning to find healthier ways to do the same thing. Right. You know, and I think for the codependent, a lot of times they have had their mindset on how this need is going to be met. And it is in that addict or that relationship. And I've got in my head, this is where this relationship needs to be met. So this person needs to be this, this, and this. And when they achieve that, then my life will work well. Right. And I've got to do these things to get them to do this. It is craziness when we look at it from a distance. Yeah. In the middle of it, it doesn't look crazy. It yeah. looks like this is the way it works. This is just how it functions. Yeah. This is just how we function. Right. This is the way it works. And I can do this. Yeah. I can do enough. You yeah. know. And this person will. Good metaphor. This yeah. is a fun metaphor for me anyway. Here's the deal. You're going, you're going home from work. And you're hungry, and uh, you got a craving for an artichoke. Yeah. You're gonna go yeah. get an artichoke for dinner because that's what you feel like. So yeah. you go into Safeway, big superstore, big Safeway, on your way home from work, and you go to the produce aisle and you look, and you can't find an artichoke. So you go up to the counter. You know, here's this little gal, high school kid, works here after school, yeah. just checking out, and you just go up and you say, um, you know, I came to get an artichoke. I couldn't find them. Could you go get me an artichoke? And she says, Oh, we don't carry artichokes here. And you get a little irritated because it's a big store and yeah. they should have artichokes. And so you get a little, little irritated and said, look, I'm just looking for an artichoke. You know, could you just go get me an artichoke? And she says, well, we don't, we don't carry them. <laughs> so you open up your wallet and you take out 50 bucks and you slap it down the counter and say, there's 50 bucks. Will you just go get me an artichoke? And so she goes and gets the manager because <laughs> this isn't working well. And the manager comes out and says, can I help you? And you say, look, I... An artichoke, one lousy artichoke. I'm, I'll pay 50 bucks for an artichoke. And and he says, sir, we don't carry artichokes. And so then you get steaming mad, you climb up on the counter, you stomp your feet and yell, and then he calls security, you know, and security comes and ushers you out. Uh, because you've got to get an artichoke, and this is the way this artichoke, you Safeway's where you get artichokes, and as they're hauling you out the front door, you look across the street, there's QFC, big sign, Artichoke sale, 10 for a dollar, yeah. right across the street. <laughs> now, yeah. if you can just slow down for a minute. Yeah. This may not work the way you had planned it. Safeway is a good store. They got lots of good stuff. No artichokes, but a lot of good stuff. It doesn't mean you don't get shopping here. Unfortunately, after that rant, you're not going to be you're allowed. Not, yeah, you're not coming not back here. Right, right. But it's the way it is in relationships. We have this picture of how it should work and who should do it and what I should do. And I think with the codependent, there is this picture of how this should work. And I can make it happen and I can change this other person. And when they do, then they will meet my needs. Oh. As in recovery for the codependent, they start setting boundaries, not based on what this person is going to do, but on how I want my world to work and how I make that adjustment. And there are losses with that. Yeah. And that means I don't go to Safeway for artichokes anymore. Other things, maybe. Not artichokes. I don't have to live without artichokes. Where can I find artichokes? I can I can go someplace else. Now, there are healthy places to get artichokes and there are unhealthy places. That's another part of codependency is how do I go about finding healthy ways that my needs can be met without perpetuating this 
system that I've been in. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times for codependence, that's where the um, it gets complicated. Because if you get so focused on this need and the way it's met, you end up perpetuating the same pattern with someone else or some other system or relationship or whatever, mm-hmm. rather than going back, grieving the loss, working on understanding your role in it. How did I keep this going? How do I change that? Right. You know, and yeah, in addiction recovery, we call it uh, cleaning up your side of the street. Mm-hmm. So how did I participate? How did I get into this? How did I keep this going? So I can change that regardless of the other person's response. Right. They then get to choose how they respond to it. They may choose poorly. Right. And if that's true, then one more thing to grieve, right. one more thing to let go of, right. trying to stay healthy in your responses so you can move on. It's, it's not easy and it's not fast. Yeah. But there are artichokes out there. You yeah. can find them. There's yeah. healthy places for them. Maybe not in the way you wanted them. Yeah, codependency is, is as much an addiction as alcohol, gambling, yeah. sexual addiction, yeah. shopping, eating, hoarding, name it. You know, all ways yeah. that we self-medicate. The, the codependent self-medicates by being uh, sufficient for someone else. Mm. Wow. Yeah. 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 And the world's full of them. Like we say, for every addict, there's going to be multiple codependents. So there's probably more more codependents out there than there are addicts. It's interesting to think about a codependent being addicted to over-functioning for someone. Right. Essentially, that's what it is, right? That's essentially what it is. It's interesting because I think there's bits of codependence in all of us, right? There is. But the act, like an actual, like, codependent addict, which I found myself in that cycle, you know, of of that addiction to fixing, Mm -hmm. I think that's something that we talk about a lot, fixers. Right. You know, when you continually find yourself in these relationships of, broken people and you're always talking to your girlfriends about like why do I keep like why am I always with someone I need to fix and you like now I feel like I have an answer to that right right pay attention honey well because the common denominator is you honey (laughs) like not the broken men that you're like continually getting into relationships with the common denominator is your addiction to fixing right so let's rewind and turn the camera angle back to you. You know, that's a a great picture. And the word broken is a good good word because if you're constantly in a relationship with broken people, you're trying to fix your own brokenness through someone else. Mm -hmm. That if only I can make someone else's world work, then I will be lovable, successful, smart, strong, whatever. Wait a minute, that is my brokenness. I can deal with my brokenness to do that, I gotta allow someone else to be broken without me having to be the solution, yeah. you know. I don't like you saying that because it makes me feel like you're like putting my whole life on display. <laughs> <laughs> but you're in such good company. <laughs> And I I think you're right in saying that. I think that's a piece in all of us. Maybe the exception are some really stark narcissists, you know, just, you know, sociopaths. But outside of that, there is a part in us that I think we all want to be helpful to someone else. Mm -hmm. We want to give of ourselves. And it's when that gets out of control. That's like an overeater. Okay, that's an addict. But wait a minute. The the opposite isn't not eating. (laughs) 
you know? Right. And so there is this balance. Interesting. And I'm thinking the, the boundaries are about learning where is that healthy point where I am helping someone else, but when they choose to not get better, there's a place where I let go right. and say, okay, no more. I cannot do this. Yeah. I am getting unhealthy. Yeah. And I think that's that cutting edge of, wait a minute, where is my brokenness now? Um, am I looking to you to change in order for me not to feel broken? And that's a really fine line. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a hard place to find. Yeah. But I do think you're right. I think all of us have a piece of co-dependency mm -hmm. that we have to somehow become aware of and monitor yeah. so that we become healthy. Downside of that is mm -hmm. a part of that will feel like selfishness. It will feel self-centered. Yeah. You know, if I really loved well, then I would not give up on this person. I'd keep working harder and harder and harder right. in order to make the world. And if I don't, aren't I being selfish? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a real sweet thought, but it's very unhealthy in and of itself. Well, it's so hard to get to that point of realizing of real realizing the true roots of your actions right are yeah it may it may sound sweet it might be a sweet thought but what you're doing is still that yeah like it's a compulsion yeah i'm compelled yeah. i'm compelled yeah. to keep doing this even though what i'm doing promotes an unhealthy system right but that compulsion that being compelled to work harder and harder and harder and harder in order for someone else to change, somewhere there's a line where, where health says, wait a minute, I'm getting less and less healthy by working so hard at this. Yeah. Very hard. Woof. Very hard. Yeah. Yeah. But if it was easy, we wouldn't be talking about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Another principle to, you know, kind of keep in mind. This might be something we touch on and maybe carry on in another, you know, in another mm -hmm. podcast. That um, for an addict, we look at an addict and... When an addict began their addictive behavior, they did it at a certain age and a certain stage of emotional development. Mm -hmm. That addiction then became a focus. It became a compulsion of its own. It became right. a focus of their life. And other areas stopped developing. Right. Now, typically when an addict starts dealing with their addiction, it's been after years. Now, the rule of thumb is, like for an alcoholic, when an alcoholic started drinking, they stopped developing emotionally. So Right, because kids, they were numbing. Exactly. As soon as they start numbing out their emotions right. with drinking alcohol, like drugs, whatever you're whatever numbing with. Because you're running away from something. Like right. we said last time, uh, alcoholic doesn't drink because they're thirsty. Right. They drink because they're escaping something. Right. And when they're escaping something, they are no longer growing in that area. So here's a 14-year-old kid who starts drinking. All right. Well, as he starts drinking, he stops dealing with other things in his life. Now he's 35 and he's going to start getting sober. In many ways, emotionally, he's 14. Mm -hmm. But he's married to this 35-year-old woman. Mm -hmm. Now, she may be codependent, <laughs> but she hasn't had the same kind of emotional um, numbing. Yeah, exactly. So she's at least somewhere around the age of 35 emotionally. <laughs> she's married to a 14-year-old who is now going to start growing up. Mm. Oh, part of the relational issues there is there is this imbalance between the two of them that isn't blaringly obvious because you know, here's this alcoholic, but he's he's got a career and he earns right. a living and he can keep his car moving and, right. you know, etc. 
but he doesn't know how to deal with conflict. He doesn't know how to deal with his own feelings. He doesn't know right. what to do emotionally because he's still 14. And so part of the process that begins with his sobriety is dealing with this imbalance. And a lot of times that is very difficult to even discern for them in the in the meantime. That's part of this mobile that goes into chaos because one piece is starting to move. Right. And now we start realizing, oh my gosh, we are very, very different. Yeah. And even in his goal now of beginning to be healthy, his lack of health becomes more and more obvious because right. he's no longer numbing out, right. which means he's going to feel a lot of things he hasn't felt for years, yeah. you know. And he's going to have to develop skills in dealing with those things that he hasn't felt for years, right. which means he's going to be reacting poorly for a while, right. you know. And, uh, and that's where lots of their relational issues begin to surface that's probably a good place for us to pause i think because right. then we can we'll pause here and the next time we'll kind of be able to tackle that like that right. recovery journey because now there are multiple people involved in this recovery journey yes. both very different both somewhat the same but on yeah. the same path and especially being in relationship being on this on this somewhat parallel but very different like recovery journey yes we can kind of tackle that next time and tackle what that experience is like and how to maneuver right. through that great i think that's a good place to pause i think it's great if you guys have any questions on codependency or anything else that we talked about today please feel free to like leave a comment or you can send me a dm if it's more private uh, we're thinking about doing a follow-up video after this whole series on addiction, codependency, and recovery. Just a compilation of all your questions and comments. Just kind of making sure we get all of our bases covered right. and answer right. questions. So any questions you have, go ahead and send them our way and we will work on that. Like we said, this is the second video in a series that we're doing on addiction codependency and recovery so thanks to Lonnie yes thanks to Lonnie <laughs> right um thank you for your vulnerability we still appreciate you deeply <sighs> yeah. if you haven't watched the first video that was more focusing on uh roots of addictions um you probably would enjoy watching that so you can check that out see you in our next video see you next time <laughs>